Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Sheep blowfly strike is a major disease and welfare risk for the Australian sheep industry. Each year, fly strike treatment and loss of production cost the Australian sheep industry $173 million. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Deb Maxwell to look at the latest recommendations for sheep blowfly control. Deb has been in the sheep extension for the last 28 years in the Department of Primary Industries in Queensland and the Sheep CRC. She has been the technical manager and now the executive officer of Paraboss since Worm, Fly and Lice Boss was moved under the banner of Paraboss in 2014. Deb also runs her own superfine merino stud near Gyra, where she employs the Paraboss recommendations against the high regional challenges of both worms and flies. Welcome, Deb, and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. That's great, Fiona. Thanks for inviting me. Deb, most of our listeners may well know all about Paraboss, but for those who don't, could you please give us a little insight into the project? Uh, Paraboss is a, a suite of parasite control information products, and they're for sheep and goat producers. But soon we're going to be including cattle and a, and a fourth boss, tick boss. Uh, it was developed back in 2010, our fly boss, uh, with worm boss back in 2005, and lice boss in about 2010 as well. And now it's uh, funded by AWI, MLA and UNE, and UNE, the University of New England, manages the process. Deb, what encompasses sustainable fly strike control? Well, by sustainable, we mean not only are you going to be protecting your sheep with preventative chemicals or treating them effectively if they do become fly strike, but sustainable means that you're going to be able to do that for years to come. And that means that um, you can't be totally reliant on chemicals because resistance develops over time to those chemicals. So we need to, have to do other things aside from using chemicals. Deb, when we think about control, we look at not only the prevention of actual fly strikes, but also minimising the build-up of resistance to chemicals in our fly population that you just mentioned. How much of a threat is chemical resistance to successful fly strike control? Oh, Fiona, look, I think it's, it, it's an enormous looming threat. It mightn't be here at the moment, but you've got to consider that we know, not just in the sheep industry, in, in all industries, um, resistance is an issue and 
gradually chemicals fall by the wayside because of resistance. Uh, and we've had plenty of those already, you know, the likes of diazinon used to be used for fly control, some of the uh, synthetic pyrethroids, some other um, insect growth regulators, and they've become ineffective. And if we continue to use chemicals in a way that that resistance develops quickly, um, the cost and time involved in developing new chemicals is such that we're just not going to have new chemicals when we need them. And of course, fly strike is such a, an animal welfare concern as well. So it is a problem, it's looming, and people have the opportunity to do something about it now. When we think about resistance to chemicals, the really bad example of it is in our worm control. What is the resistance to fly strike chemicals like by comparison? Um, as I've mentioned, some of the chemicals that we used to use for, for fly strike control have, have already been withdrawn from reg registration. So um, while we've got quite a number of effective ones right now, we've certainly had diazinon removed, the IGRs removed, some of the IGRs removed, the synthetic pyrethroids removed, so they've gone. So it is a problem. Um, we've got some, the ones that we have at the moment have got, some, some are working quite well, and others have got emerging resistance to them. And I think all you can expect is that they're going to get worse if people don't use them wisely. And what are the signs on a property that you may have chemical resistant flies? The first sign is that you don't get as long a protection period as uh, you expect as, as what's written on a label. Just remember on a label it says up to so many weeks. And so you know, if it says 18 weeks and you're only getting 16 weeks, um, that could be a sign that you've got resistance. But just remember that a lot of it can be about how it's applied and the conditions that that, <clears throat> excuse me, that chemical has to perform under. So look for, look for fly strikes occurring faster than you think that they should be occurring and in more than just a, a handful of sheep. And Deb, just out of interest, how old are some of the chemicals that we're currently using and can we expect new chemicals to be released? Some of them are really quite old. So uh, diazinon, for example, it's only now available in fly strike dressings uh, or, um, or treatments. And it's actually not very, it's not effective at all, but it, it came out in the 50s. Um, a number of them are from 10 years ago, some are from 20 or more years ago. So they're quite old. And um, I don't think that you should suddenly be expecting uh, some new ones around the corner. The last one that was uh, available for flies came out a few years ago, imidacloprid. And, you know, maybe we need to wait five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years for a new chemical. So it's really important we look after the ones that we have. Deb, is there a commercial test available to determine the level of resistance on farm? Fiona, no, there's no commercial test. There is a research test available, 
unfortunately, it's really quite expensive because it involves taking the maggots that people submit, breeding them through two generations, and then subjecting their maggots to varying concentrations of chemical. So it's quite labor intensive and therefore um, it's actually quite a few thousand dollars to do that. So no, unfortunately, no commercial test is available at the present time. Deb, when we look at control and chemical resistance for say gastrointestinal parasites, there's a level of chemical resistance across all farms in New South Wales. How do you think, how widespread do you think it is for chemical resistance towards fly strike chemicals? Diana, I do believe that it's widespread. Uh, quite possibly many properties in New South Wales have some level of resistance, but at this point, it could be quite low. Uh, at, at present time, we just do not have the data to, to tell how widespread it is and how severe the resistance is on any property. Uh, that, that's for the current chemicals. You, you can assume straight away that diazinon is there's resistance on every single property, um, but we don't recommend that you use that or some of the other products that have already with, been withdrawn from the market. So it's out there. It's probably in very low levels for many properties, um, but that doesn't mean they're yet quite seeing a reduction in protection period, but the seeds are there for, for that de to develop. So chemicals are obviously still an important aspect of fly strike control. What's the best approach to reducing our reliance on chemicals and using them more wisely so they stay effective for longer? Well, Fiona, an IPM approach, that's an integrated parasite management approach, it just involves a combination of strategies. That's simply it. Instead of just using chemicals, use a variety of methods. And you know, we've got a number of those um, breeding for fly strike, breeding fly strike resistant sheep. Uh, people can continue to modify breaches with the mulesing operation for, for some time, even though that's not the preferred method. Docking tails to the right length, reducing scouring, which is another uh, predisposing factor for uh, fly strike. Uh, shearing at the right times and so forth. All of those are things that you can do to reduce reliance on chemicals. When we apply chemicals to sheep, how long are they active for? Well, that really depends on the chemical group. Um, and, and that question certainly highlights the, the importance of knowing the chemical group. Uh, each of them works in slightly different ways. They also have different formulations that dictate how long they stay on a sheep and so they degrade over time all of these chemicals and that's going to depend on that chemical structure and that formulation and they're subject to sunlight and particularly rainfall that's going to decrease the concentration over time so most of them are you know last well let's say some last for nearly two weeks and some last for 29 weeks. 
and that will depend on the particular chemical. Is there a way to increase the longevity of these chemicals? Fiona, the longevity is two things. One is how long they last in, in the season when you apply them versus their long-term use. So in the first place, they're only going to be um, effective for up to the period of time that the label claims. And they can be less than that, depending on what you do. If you apply them correctly, you follow those label directions, then you're going to get the most out of them. But if they're applied poorly, and also if your sheep are subject to a hell of a lot more rainfall than other people's sheep, then um, they're not going to be as effective for as long a period. Deb, industry often refers to a tail period when we talk about the efficacy of different chemicals. Is this the same for a fly strike chemical? Yes, Fiona. The, when we apply a, a preventative chemical, one of the ones that we expect to last for some weeks, there's going to be a period of time when that chemical concentration on the sheep declines to a level that won't kill all the maggots anymore. So it starts off applied at a high level and it gradually dec declines over time, it degrades. Um, you know, the chemical has a half-life, it's got sunlight and rain on it, and the concentration at any point on the fleece decreases over time until it reaches a point where some of the flies actually start to, any, any fly that is exposed to that lower concentration actually lives. And that period of time where some flies are living and some flies are dying when they're exposed to that lower concentration is called the tail. And it does drop off even further than that. It gets to a point where it's so low that it doesn't matter, no flies will be killed by that uh, concentration when it's down quite low. So what we talk about with the tail is that period where some of the flies will live and some of the flies will die once the concentration drops. We have a lot of products out there on the market but actually how many groups of chemicals do we have available and is it important for producers to be familiar with these? Uh, Fiona, it is important to know about these things. There's uh, six groups of chemicals on the market. Uh, one of them, which contains the organophosphates, isn't effective uh, and not it's not a, not registered for use as a long-term preventative anymore. They're only reserved now for fly stripe dressings. So there's five five of them at the moment. They do work in different ways and resistance develops to them in different ways. And so it is actually important to know that if you're using one, and, and we also advocate that you rotate your products. So if you're using one and you want to rotate to another type, you need to know the chemical group in it, not just the brand name. 
So I think that's one of the, the first critical things that producers need to know is, is get a handle on what the chemical groups are for fly stripe control. And at what times might producers rotate these chemical groups? The, the ideal thing is to make sure that you've got within season rotation of, of, of use. So if you've got um, a preventative applied to the sheep and suddenly you find maybe an odd struck sheep, that's when you want to rotate for a start. Don't use the same one that you've applied as a preventative to treat a struck sheep. Use a different one there. The other time is uh, for some people, they will have a fairly long fly strike season and they may need two uh, preventative applications to get them through, or they might just be using shorter protection period products and they use two of them. So if they're using two like that in a row, that's when we think you should be rotating between them as you go from one to the other. Um, the other thing, of course, is that a lot of people aren't, don't sort of realise is that there's a number of lice treatments that actually affect flies as well. And you mightn't be applying this treatment to, to um, prevent flies, you're, you're applying it to treat lice, but if there's flies out there and they're, um, you know, you get some sheep struck, and that chemicals there, then those maggots are exposed to it. And so if possible, don't use the same treatment for lice as you want to use for fly stripe. So don't use that same chemical group within the same season. And of course, the easy answer to that is um, if you can eradicate lice, then you don't need to apply lice treatments. That's a really good point that might not always be considered. Deb, moving away from chemicals now, how important is tail length? Tail length does have uh, an important uh, effect on, especially DAG. Um, when you've got a longer tail, it lets the sheep properly lift its tail out of the way and uh, let the feces fall to the ground instead of being smeared a bit on their breach. So we've uh, seen some research and it actually shows that the recommended docking to the third palpable joint or to the tip of the vulva certainly has a lower incidence of fly strike than a shorter tail. And short tails have their own problems. Uh, aside from having a higher risk of fly strike, they also are associated with higher risks of uh, a couple of things, rectal prolapses, uh, arthritis after marking, and um, more skin cancer. So it's not just fly strike. So that mid-tail length that goes to the, top of, uh, to the tip of the vulva is going to result in less fly strike. But interestingly, you can go longer. The research did show that if you take it down to the fourth joint or below the tip of the vulva, it actually reduces the fly strike even more. Fly traps held a lot of promise when they were being developed. They certainly caught heaps of flies, 
But unfortunately, it was found that they didn't really reduce the risk of strike. And that was because you don't need many flies to treat, to um, strike susceptible sheep. So even when you've got very few about that, the, the smell from fleece rod or from dag or so forth is going to draw in even a small number of flies. So the traps good for monitoring whether or not you're getting a buildup in flies uh, at that time of the season, but they're not really going to reduce the strike rate on most properties. Okay. And <laughs> do we know the genetics of resistance in flies? Fiona, the genetics is still um, a fairly unknown thing. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions there. We can't at the moment DNA test a fly, for instance, to see whether it's got genes for resistance. So the assumptions are that um, a fly will have a number of genes that can be associated with resistance to a particular chemical. And because it's not just a single one, you, you, you know, maybe there could be three or four or five or so genes. It means that if they happened, happen in that gene to have the, the allele or the, the particular variation of the gene that confers resistance, um, it could mean that a particular fly might have five genes that all have the resistance variation. Another fly might only have one of them. And so it tells us that the flies can accumulate, and what I mean by that, as, as the population is breeding and breeding over time and through generations, flies will appear that happen to have all of the genes for resistance, for, in, uh, for example. And that will mean that those particular flies can tolerate quite a high level of con uh, a high concentration of chemical um, and not be killed. So a lot of assumptions, I'm afraid, there. We, we don't know the details at this stage. Deb, why are resistant flies able to strike sheep sooner than a susceptible fly? Okay, so sooner, that's sooner in the protection period. And that's because they've accumulated the genes that allow them to tolerate a higher concentration of chemical. And what happens is the chemical gets applied initially and it goes on at a high concentration. It degrades over time. And as it's dropping down, all, you know, while it's still at a high concentration, doesn't matter what flies they are, they'll die. They might lay some eggs on there, the maggots will die. As the concentration drops a little bit further, more flies are there laying eggs, but the resistant ones who can tolerate the higher concentration will live, but the susceptible ones will still die. And until you get to that much lower concentration when even the susceptible flies, the maggots from them will live. So it's simply a matter of the, the concentration of chemical on the sheep at any particular time when the flies lay their eggs and the maggots develop. 
Deb, timing treatments and not just chemical treatments, but crutching or shearing around actual fly pressure is no doubt important. So how can we predict our fly challenge period? Well, Fiona, there's a couple of great tools on FlyBoss that really let you look into that. We've, we've had some online tools for some years, well, 10 years we've had those now that you can use, but we do have a new tool, the FlyStrike Risk Simulator, and it allows you to do a lot more with um, customising your sheep. Uh, so you can go into this tool, it's a downloadable tool, and you can choose a whole pile of things such as the type of sheep that you have, uh, the, you know, the class, whether they're ewes or lambs or rams or whatever. Um, you can choose your shearing time, your crutching time, treatment time, choose the type of treatment, but you can also put in there the uh, scores for your sheep. So, you know, how wrinkly they are, uh, how much fleece rot you typically get, the amount of breech cover, the amount of dag. Once you put all those sorts of things in, when that's combined with the fly strike risk file that's associated with your local weather, it will show you a graph of the predicted risk times for your sheep. And initially that's just about uh, it's pretty much just about the weather in your location. And with all those things that you then add to it, it affects that graph and changes the risk. So it's going to be able to say, okay, if you shear now and you take off all the fleece, that's going to decrease your risk. Or if you put some chemical on at a certain time, that's going to take the risk down. Well, likewise, it actually lets you um, play around in some little sliders you can play around with the breach scores and you can say well what will happen to the risk if I for instance try and breed my sheep to have much less breach wrinkle and so with this tool you can put all of these things in and you can simulate how each of them affect the risk on your farm with your weather and your sheep And during these high risk times, how important is regular monitoring of the sheep? Oh, look, Fiona, uh, it's really important. Gone are the days when you just went out, put some chemical on the sheep and just, you know, walked off and hoped that they were going to be fine for the next couple of months or, or whatever you think the protection period is. Um, you know, resistance is there on some properties and it can be developing. So even if you don't have any problem at the moment, you don't know whether next year you will. And of course, the other thing is that, you know, some sheep just don't get treated. They might be buried down the bottom of the race or, or they mightn't, mightn't have been mustered. There's always the chance that some missed a treatment. So monitoring is critical to um, keep an eye on those sheep. Deb, during this regular monitoring that you recommend for producers to do, when they come across a strut sheep, what are the current treatment recommendations? So when you find a, a strut sheep, don't just think to yourself, oh, look, I'm, I've got to treat this sheep for its own 
for its own sake. It's also really important to do it to clean up the maggots because the potential is there each time you have more maggots that they could actually be resistant to a chemical. So the protocol you, you want to use is to make sure that you um, clean up the wound. Mechanical shearing is going to be a lot better than uh, hand clipping. Uh, if you can get um, a good barrier around the wound as well, we recommend about five centimetres, probably you know a, a, um, a comb's width around the wound, because you're going to want to check that there's no little trails going out that you find some extra maggots in. So you're going to find the whole wound. Um, if you can't take them to a shed and, and shear them in the shed, um, I recommend that you 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 know, you'll have your little kit on your bike or in your ute or something in case you find a struck sheep. Include in that a little tiny ground sheet and some plastic bags, and that's just going to help you collect up all the maggots uh, when you when you clip that sheep out in the paddock. And you know, it's not it's not a very exciting job having to chase little maggots, but if you um, do it on a ground sheet, you can just pick them up. The importance there is, as I said. If, if there's resistant ones there and you just let them fall on the ground, it's going to breed more resistant flies on your property. So pick up the maggots, put them in a plastic bag in the sun, and they'll, they'll die in there. Apply a registered dressing, make sure that's going to get a fast kill. You, you really good long-term preventatives like cyromazine and dicyclonal, um, they're not they're not a fast kill, so they're fine to give that protection, but they won't kill the maggots really fast. So make sure you've got something that does do that. Use a different chemical group, as I've mentioned before. Uh, and um, even though organophosphate dressings are registered for sheep, we don't recommend those for fly stroke dressings because there is such severe resistance. Finally, two things to do with the sheep, get them out of the mob because they will draw in more flies for a little while until that wound is healed up. And of course, fly strikes are quite repeatable uh, because it's genetic and you don't want to breed from those sheep if you can uh, avoid it in the future. Excellent. Thanks, Deb. With the weather warming up, the information you have shared is very timely. So I'd like to thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. Thanks very much, Fiona. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au. Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now. <laughs>